Good morning. My name is Jacob Kingsley. I am the youth pastor here at Elevation Community Church. So I know what you're thinking. Yes, the announcement guy already did come up. And no, I'm not just doing some more announcements. Um, no, none of the teaching team is in grave danger. It was actually just uh, possibly a miracle that Phil, maybe mistaken me with Brent, asked me if I wanted to give a message um, during this chapter a day series. And obviously, I jumped at the chance. And before I knew it, here we are. So this is actually my very first sermon outside of at youth. Um, I'm used to just talking to a bunch of, bunch of great teenagers here. Um, I see them over here, but I'm excited to share with you today. As I was thinking about my very first sermon, my family, who is always so supportive, wanted to come out and support me in here, the very first sermon. And I have a lot of friends here as well, and so there was a lot of pressure coming in. I mean, if you don't make mom and dad proud, what are you doing with your life? And so thinking about what am I going to do to really make this sermon stand apart? And of course, the elders, you know, I'm still new here, less than six months full time. And so obviously I have to impress the elder board and make sure that they chose the right person. Can't let them down. And then the rest of you, there have been multiple people, I'm looking at you, Vic, that have come up to me before every service, after every service, in between the week, even today, and said, I'm excited to hear you preach. So it's a lot of pressure. And as I was thinking about what am I going to talk about, I started to think about all these different things I could do to, you know, just pack this sermon full of intellectual, deep stuff, and just like really wow. And you'd be grateful to know that that is not what's going to happen. So as I was thinking, there was this pride welling up in me that I was like, I have got to just blow this out of the water. I've got to make it so great. Nobody is going to leave without knowing that I've put in my time to this. And I was thinking, what do I actually want to talk about? As we've been going through this chapter a day, Dennis last week did an incredible job of just recapping John chapter 2 through 8, which is like a huge task, and I don't know how he did it, but he did, and it was incredible, and so I was like, do I want to do that this week? Do I want to talk about one specific topic that's mentioned? And as I was reading, I got to John chapter 15, which is the chapter for today, October 15th, and God used this chapter to speak to that attitude of pride in my own heart. He used it to reveal something inside of me to where I grew because of it. And so I wanted today to share that with you. Instead of making you feel like you're in college in a, in a lecture and I'm a professor, I just wanted to share what God used his word to work in my heart with. So let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray as we read your word today, we'll understand more about your love. That as we understand more about your love, we will love you and others more. Your name I pray. Amen. So we will be looking at John chapter 15 today. And we'll only be looking at one other passage, so I promise not to give your fingers arthritis or cramping up from all the page turning. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll also have the scriptures up on the screen. You can pull out your phone and open up the Bible app. What I want to do today is first give some context to this chapter so that way we can understand how important the things that Jesus is saying actually are. 
And then I want to talk about the very first part when Jesus is talking about how he's divine and how to just understand what he's saying. And then lastly, we're going to look at what that means for us today. So jumping in to the context of John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, as Pastor Phil mentioned. And they're in the upper room. And it's less than a week It's really super close to when Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. And so if any of you parents have ever been brave enough to leave your kids at home when you're going out of town especially, or even for a date night, and you don't have a babysitter and you're just leaving them there, um, when you leave the house, the last thing you tell them is usually the most important thing. You can tell them to do all these other things, you know, treat your brothers and sisters well, you know, don't destroy the house. But usually you're like, call this number in case of an emergency and make sure you do this. Right before you close the door, that's the most important. And so as we're reading this in John, these are some of Jesus' last words. It's the last time that he's able to sit down with his disciples in this personable, intimate setting. And what he's telling them is some of the most important things that they have to remember. And so that's the situation that we find ourselves in when we're reading John 15. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So as Jesus is starting this new topic for the disciples, the first thing he says is, I am the true vine. And if you've been reading with us through John, there have been multiple times where Jesus uses the statement, I am. And he isn't just saying this as like random things like, I am Jacob, I am the son of Paul and Laura, who are here. So, um, But he's using this to say essential aspects about himself as he relates to God the Father, as he relates to the kingdom of God, and as he relates to us as our Savior. And so this last one, this is the seventh and final I am statement that Jesus gives. And so it's really important. And he says, I am the true vine. And at first we're like, okay, why is he talking about gardening and plants? And really, in the Old Testament, when God would send prophets to the people of Israel, when they were misbehaving and just doing lots of bad stuff, Jesus would send a word that says, you are a vine, but you are producing bad fruit. Or you are a bad vine who does not produce any fruit. And so in the Old Testament, the Israelites and the Jews are so used to hearing God talk about a vine, and it was always something bad about themselves. And so Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, at first... They're like, oh, no, is this another judgment? Like, did we do something bad? But Jesus doesn't mention anything about them. He says, I am the true vine. And so in that simple statement, right away what he's saying is, I've done everything that you could never do by yourself. 
He's saying everything that God required of you through the Old Testament law from Moses, that you always failed, you always worshipped other gods, you kept failing and failing. I haven't. I'm fulfilling everything that you never could. So that by itself is an extremely profound statement. And from there, we get the rest of the passage of staying um, with the vine. And so in this passage, in John chapter 15, we have this word. And in the ESV, it's abides. But other translations might say remain or stay or continue. And it's that Greek word meno. And it just means to stay, to continue, to remain, to not depart. And in John, it's used like 33 times. But in this passage alone, it's used 11. And so that's a third of the times a single word is used in the whole book. And so this has to be super important to what Jesus is saying. That if we don't understand this part of it, we're going to miss everything else that's in this passage. And so Jesus is saying, remain and stay. And he's not just talking about staying stationary, don't move, um, you know, just be lazy. He's not saying anything like that. What Jesus is saying is it needs to be a state of your life where you are plugged into me. What he's talking about is that relationship with him, that above all else, we need to stay focused and rooted in that relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, as we've been going through the chapter today, we've seen a lot of cool things that Jesus has done, a lot of crazy things where he does things that nobody else can do, and he's saving people, and he's healing people. And so at first we're like, why would anybody not remain with Jesus? What would be the cause for people to leave if he really is that good? How many of you, maybe it was back in high school, maybe it was recently, you had a falling out with somebody? Maybe there was some bad blood between you guys. Um, maybe it's like a PTA meeting type of thing. Maybe just another soccer mom that you can't get along with. And every time you see that person, maybe it's in Kroger, maybe you're at UDF filling up, whatever, you purposely go out of your way to avoid them, to stay away from them, because you just don't want to talk to them. You don't want to even bring it up. You needed something in that aisle, but it'll wait until next week now, all right? You go that far out of your way. When we as humans believe we've hurt or offended people, we avoid them. We stay away from them. And we don't address what's going on between us. And Jesus knows that. And so he's saying when you have messed up, because he knows we're going to, he says when you've messed up, when you believe you've hurt or offended me, I want you to stay. I want you to remain in me because I don't want you leaving. I don't want you going somewhere else because nothing else is going to give you what you want right now. There's nothing that you could do that would be so bad where I'm not going to say, Jacob, you need to stay with me. You need to remain. You need to not move away from me. So Jesus, through this passage, is saying, just stay. Stay and remain in me. And along with this is this imagery of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And again, this isn't just a random little gardening plug because Jesus loved plants and stuff. It's actually, as the culture there, they would have understand, understood vines and branches because they had lots of vineyards, and it was just a part and a way of life. And so with plants, you can't have productive branches or leaves or fruit if you don't have that root system. If you don't have a tree trunk, you can't have the branches. It just doesn't work like that. So in terms of vines and grapevines, you can't have the branches that produce the grapes without the vine. 
So Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, and I'm going to help you and produce everything that you need in your life. And Jesus is saying, all you have to do as branches, you don't have to make your own root system. You don't have to go and start your own plant. You don't have to go and do all the work yourself. Jesus is saying, just be a branch. Just like literally stay connected to me to where I can put all the nutrients you need into you. Jesus is saying, stay in that relationship with me. I was thinking the other day, um, my mom and Jordan had gone out into the backwoods of my parents' house, and there had been a big vine that fell down. Um, and they made lots of like grapevine wreaths out of it. And I was thinking that that vine is dead. But I mean, you could take like a staple gun and a clump of grapes, and you could staple it onto the grapevine. And it might look passable. It might look like it kind of happened organically. But at the end of the day, at the end of a week, those grapes are going to be withered and mushy and gross. It's not actually producing fruit. We can exist as branches, but we aren't going to produce fruit unless we're connected into something bigger. And that something bigger is Jesus. And so when we remain, when we stay in Jesus, when we stay connected, and we are counting on him for everything that we need, we can expect two things. The first of which is pruning. All right. This doesn't have anything to actually do with prunes. This isn't a health kick um, or a detox or anything like that. Pruning, um, because my dad is a horticulturalist, and you might say, horta what? And that's the usual reaction. It just means he knows everything there is to know ever about plants. And so growing up, he tried to teach me everything there is to know ever about plants, and I don't remember everything. But I did remember what pruning is. Pruning, a lot of times, we just imagine you going and kind of hacking away at a plant. You're just cutting off plants to make it look smaller. But that's not really pruning. That'd be more like trimming, but that's another topic. <laughs> so pruning is when you have a plant or a tree, like an apple tree, for example, that's already producing some fruit. It has the signs it's alive, but all of a sudden, instead of trying to produce more fruit, this tree starts growing other branches that aren't producing fruit yet, or it's growing all these other leaves or flower buds in some examples. And so when you prune, you take away those things that the tree is trying to start growing, but it's not actually producing fruit. It's not essential for the tree. And so Jesus is saying that pruning is going to be taking away everything that isn't essential for that fruit in your life, taking that away, cutting it out, it's not always pleasant, but the, God cuts out the extra stuff. So that way, that which is essential, his fruit, the things that he desires, will be the main focus in your life. And so this pruning doesn't happen to every single branch. Jesus says that if there is a branch who is already producing fruit, he will prune it. So a lot of times, we can look at our lives and we can see things being taken away, different situations that aren't working out, difficulties in different areas. And we say, God, like, why is this happening? I thought I was already producing fruit. I already thought I was on the right track. And God does that in our lives to make us even more effective. Pruning is not punishment. It's not a consequence for something bad that you've done. God prunes that which is already faithful to him. And so we have 
in John chapter 15 than this bearing fruit that if we are remaining in him, we can expect pruning and we can expect to produce fruit. And what is this fruit? Is he like literally talking about fruit? Because that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I want us to turn to Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And for a lot of you, this will be a very familiar passage, and it'll be up on the screen. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, th- such things there is no law. And so Paul here is using this term fruit of the Spirit. And it's important to notice that he doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. Each of these isn't its own individual things. All these are one thing together. You can't have one without the other. If you don't have love, pretty much everything else in that list is going to fall apart. If you don't have peace in your life where you are content with what God is doing in your life, you aren't going to have patience in your life. If you don't have self-control in your life, you probably won't look very gentle. If you don't have goodness, I mean, why would we be faithful? And so you have to have all of these working together for it to be the fruit of the Spirit. And I just want to take a a second and go to the, the purpose of this fruit. Because a lot of times, I know in my own life, I've been like, okay, God, I feel like I've really got this patience thing under control. And then, like, for a week, there'll be all these different situations that just are constantly trying my patience. And it's like, God, I I told you I had it under control. Like, it's all right. I got patience in my life. We're good. And there'll be times where I feel like I'm being really loving. And then there are all these different situations that try and pull me and try and test if that's true love. And so if we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, don't be surprised when people come into your life and they want to test that fruit. When we have fruit trees or plants or whatever, we don't have it just to look at it. You don't go to Kroger and buy some strawberries just to look at it and say, hey, I have strawberries. Like, you go to eat them, to test it. And if they're mushy and nasty, like, you might not get it again. You might not go back to the same place to get those strawberries. And so people in our lives, there are going to be situations where if we have the fruit of the Spirit, things are going to come and test and say, is this really that good love that comes from the Holy Spirit? Is that really that self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit? I want to know because I might want some of it for myself. So sometimes we can get discouraged when there are those times in our lives where we feel tried in those different areas. And don't be discouraged. That is a way that the Holy Spirit can manifest himself in your life through his fruit. Thanks, Bill. (laughs) So, Moving right along, as we go into, back into this thought, because this thought of remaining in Jesus is just so important. We can get tossed in so many different ways. We can get pulled in so many different ways. And this is the part that really convicted me as I was trying to prepare for what I would be talking about today. And as I was thinking about my sermon, right? It's my sermon. It's the one that I get to preach. I'm standing up here. It's my sermon. And thinking about what I would be talking about, I essentially, after reading this, was realizing I was trying to plant myself as my own vine. 
I was saying, God, I want to do all of this stuff so that way when people hear this, people will be impacted. And people say, wow, like that guy has something in him. I want to get plugged into that. I want to get plugged into the youth ministry. He seems like somebody I could be under. And I was trying to be my own vine. Jesus was saying, Jacob, you need to stop. You need to remain in me. Remember, you're a branch. You can't be the vine because you aren't going to do anything by yourself. If you try and take your branch and just stick it in the ground, it'll die. It doesn't have any roots. It doesn't have any way to support itself. This was a moment where God was pruning. He was taking stuff out of my life. He was taking that pride out of my life and saying, this doesn't need to be there. You need to put all of your attention into something that's of me. And so remaining in Jesus, just staying in him, delighting in what he has for us. And so the second part of this passage is verses 9 through 17. And in here, Jesus is telling his disciples what that fruit looks like. He's saying, all right, you're remaining in me. You're staying in me. Which, by the way, Jesus does something incredible. In verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. And so Jesus is saying, remember, you didn't even work your way into this situation. You didn't, like, trick me, and now you're a part of my vine. He said, I chose you. So how much more if Jesus has chosen us and he's saying, I want to give you everything you need. You won't have to worry about anything. I just need you to stay with me. Do we have any excuse to say, Jesus, I, I messed up this week, and so I just know that you're upset with me, and I know you don't want me, so I'll keep my distance from you. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. I chose you. I'm giving you everything you need, and so I just need you to stay connected to me. I need you to hear from me. And so Jesus goes in to the next section, and he says, As the Father has loved me, in verse 9, so have I loved you. He says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So at first we hear commandments, right? And we think, okay, this is where it comes to where I have to do something in order to get this free thing, right? Commandments. It, It comes with a catch like everything does. And Jesus specifically words it a certain way. The first thing he says is abide in my love. And then he goes and says, then keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. As I was thinking about this, I I thought of my lovely wife, Jordan. And we've been married not even six months yet. So it's been a really long time. (laughs) And um, I was thinking, and you know the age-old saying, like, you don't have to change anything about your life. You're just getting married. Well, that doesn't exist, like, for a reason. It doesn't exist. And so as Jordan and I have been married a short time, it's very different than living with college roommates who don't care about the status of your life at all. I now have a wife who cares very much about the status of our life, our home, our jobs, and everything, and it's fantastic. But one of Jordan's biggest pet peeves with me, and she's let me know this multiple times, is that my laundry will literally end up everywhere except the laundry basket. 
It'll be under the bed, it'll be in the closet, it'll be in the bathroom, it'll be on top of the dresser, it'll be right next to the hamper, but not actually in the hamper. And so let's say for a second that Jordan and I have had a really stressful week, both of our different jobs, um, just there's tension, Jordan and I had a disagreement about something at the beginning of the week, and things just aren't right. Things could definitely be improved upon. And I get off work early one day, and I go home, and I'm thinking, you know, I really want to increase the love in my life for Jordan. I want to increase that personal and intimate love between us, and I just want that to build in my life. And I say, you know what, I've got just the thing. So I go around the house, and I pick up every single piece of my clothes. You know what, I even pick up her clothes that aren't always in the basket either. Um, and, and I pick every single piece up, and I put it in the basket, and at the end of that, I'm like, weird, nothing really happened. All I did is waste my time putting it in the hamper because it's going to end up in the washer anyway. Um, and so action by itself does not create love. But if I am feeling that love and I want to serve Jordan, I'm going to make sure that I go out of my way, that when Jordan comes home, there isn't anything in our apartment that's stressful, that's out of the way, where she has to work more. That love is going to drive my actions to serve Jordan. And so Jesus is saying, first, before you even have to try and follow my commands, I need you to stay in my love. That if you aren't in my love, you aren't going to do my commands the right way. You aren't going to do them for the right reasons. And you might not even do them at all. Jesus is saying, you've got to stay in my love. So we're remaining in Jesus. We're staying connected to him. But he's saying, even more than that, you need to remain in my love. And then he says, okay. Then you will keep my commandments. Well, what are Jesus' commandments? It'd be so nice if Jesus just outright told us what he wanted from us, right? Well, we're in luck today. Because in two different times in this passage, Jesus basically says, this is my command. In verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then in verse 17, Jesus says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus' command is not complicated. Jesus' command is not complex and takes years to master and you've got to level up to it. Jesus says, you just got to love each other. Love each other like I loved you. Remember, he just finished washing his disciples' feet. He's just about to go and die on the cross for them. So that's a heavy order to love people the way Jesus loves people. It's not just being nice and having good small talk with people and putting up with people. Jesus loved people in pretty radical ways. But Jesus says, you got to remain in my love. Just stay there. Don't leave. you got to live in my love. And if you do that, well, then you're going to do my commands. And his commands are to love others the way he has loved them. So again, love. And he says, if you do my commands, guess what? You're going to remain in my love even more. It all comes back to love. Jesus is saying, guys, you've got to remain in me. You've got to stop doing things on your own. You've got to try and stop making this all about you and religion and just doing things and doing things. You've got to get back to me. If we don't get back to Jesus, then we're doing everything wrong. We're wasting our time if all we're doing is religion. And so... Why is Jesus doing this? 
what's in it for Jesus? Because there's got to be something in it for him, right? Like money racketing or who knows what, but probably not. But there's got to be something in it for Jesus. And so wouldn't it be nice if Jesus told us his motivation for doing all this instead of leaving us in the dark? Well, we're in luck again because he does just that. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That word at the end, full, means to be complete, to be perfect, to not have anything lacking, to be never-ending, to be full. And Jesus is saying, why am I doing all this? Why am I offering that you can just stay in me and like leech everything you need off of me? Why am I saying that all you need is my love and to love others? Why? Jesus says, I just want you to have my joy. It's pretty crazy that somebody so powerful that has everything, that could do anything he wanted, his motive for giving us everything is giving us even more. That that joy is essential to the product of what we see in our life. So that end result of everything is joy. And I don't know how many of you have, have tried to explain the difference between joy and happiness to somebody, whether it's your, your child or just somebody going through a really hard time. And there is a difference because happiness is definitely an emotion. It can happen, and then it can be gone super soon. When I was here part-time with my last semester at Liberty, I was coming back every other weekend. I was driving about six and a half hours to seven hours one way. And every Friday, I would get in the car, and I would be so happy because I would be getting to come home to Cincinnati where I knew some home-cooked meals awaited for me. I knew my fiancé would be here. I knew my family would be here. Um, sorry, I put food in front of family that, and fiancé. Probably wasn't the best order. Uh, <laughs> and then I would get to lead youth group. And so I was always so happy. Like, I was always excited. But literally, like, 20 minutes into the drive, there would be two semis on a two-lane road right next to each other going 15 under. And I went from being happy to, like, asking for forgiveness in about 15 seconds. And so happiness can just go out the door so quick. And sometimes it can be so hard to try and grab a hold of. And so sometimes we just say, well, joy is happiness that doesn't stop. And I think that that's kind of a cheap version of joy. Because how many people here have always been happy and have never stopped being happy? Like nobody. And so has nobody here had joy? Like the moment you stop being happy, you're never going to have joy because happiness stopped. Joy has to be something more. And after thinking about it and looking at what the Bible had to say about joy, joy is taking delight in the deepest desires of Jesus for your life. That joy has to be that no matter what the outside circumstance is, that you are delighting in what Jesus is doing in your life, even if the outside circumstance hurts, even if you're literally crying at the moment, you can still have joy and say, Jesus, I know you're doing something in my life, and that's enough for me. Joy and sadness are not mutually exclusive. You can still be sad and have joy in your life. 
happiness is just an emotion, and emotions are swayed by hormones, and so who knows if any teenager would literally have happiness or joy at any time because it's all out of whack, but joy is deeply spiritual. I don't know if it's actually possible to have joy outside of Jesus. I think Jesus is the only place where we can find joy because everything else is going to let us down. You can't delight in the deepest desires of money or fame for your life because those will always let you down. There will always be shortcomings for each and every one of those. But Jesus says, I'm doing all this. I want you to stay in me. I want you to remain. I'm going to do everything for you. By the way, that pruning, when you have things in your life that aren't where they need to be, my father, he's the vine trusser. He's the one that's going to prune you. So he'll do all the maintenance and the upkeep in your life. He'll let you know when things aren't the way they should be. And he'll cut them out for you. You don't even have to worry about that. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need. I just need you to stay in me. I need you to love being in my love. And while you're there, if you can just take some of that love and give it to other people, then you're going to see even more of my love in your life. And why am I doing all of this? That way you can delight in me once again. It comes full circle. It's kind of a, a terrible analogy, but literally Jesus is like inviting us to live rent-free in his basement. Like while he's paying all the bills, he's cooking us all the meals, he's doing all the laundry. Like that's probably a nightmare for a lot of parents. They're like, I hope my fifth grader doesn't grow up like that. Um, I lived in my parents' basement for quite a while, so I have no room to talk. Um, but Jesus is literally saying, I'm going to do everything for you. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about doing this and doing this and doing this and meeting these qualifications and filling out this and being on a waiting list. You don't have to worry about anything. He's saying, Jacob, I just need you to just stay in me. And so as we're looking at this, we need to find in our lives what things awaken that love for Jesus, what things stir our affections towards Jesus, because we need more of those in our life. For me, I love listening to good worship music. I love being out in nature, just in the quiet and the still. I love having great conversations with my close friends. Those things make me appreciate what God is, who he is to me, and what he has done. And so look in your own lives. What things stir those affections towards Jesus? Because those are what we need in our lives. We don't need the stresses and the worries that all of life can bring. And so as you're examining your own life, and this is where I just want to sit and kind of end. And so if the, the praise team wants to come on up, they can. As we look at our lives, as you look at your daily routine, whether you've been with us in a chapter a day or not, whether or not, as you do those things that a lot of people just attribute to being a Christian, the kind of tasks, I would say, coming to church and doing those things, as you look at those things, do you have joy doing those things? Is it tough? Is it a struggle, not talking about your kids, but to get to church Every day you're just like, man, I don't want to, but those people then are going to call me. I'm going to have to talk with them halfway through the week, and I don't want to do that, so I'll just get it over with on Sunday. When you open up your Bible, you say, oh, this feels like homework. Is it a grudging task? If when you spend time around Jesus, there's no joy, 
then we've been in a relationship with religion and just doing the thing for the sake of doing the thing and checking Christian on some type of form. Joy is what we need. Joy and love are the fruit that is produced in our lives when we remain in Jesus. And so today, I would invite you guys, if you've never experienced that love or that joy, look and see what it looks like in your life. Take Jesus up on his invitation to literally do everything for you, for you not to have to worry about anything, but he's going to do it all, and he's going to do it all for the rest of time. He says, just stay in me. So if you've never felt that, I would encourage you, see what that looks like. After the service come up, there'll be the teaching team and some elders up here to talk with you. And if you do have that joy, if you have that love of God that you just, you can't get enough, stay there. Jesus is saying, you don't need to go anywhere else. Even when you mess up, I'm still right here and I'm holding on to you. I chose you, I'm not letting go. Don't try and leave. And then the last thing is, if that's true of you, have that love, continue just to love others. Partake in the love of Jesus and let that spill out of you. You don't need to fabricate anything. You don't need to, to fake it till you make it. You don't need to pretend like it's love because people can see straight through fake actions. But if you are remaining and delighting in the love of Jesus, there is no way that that will not just automatically spill out of you into your relationships with others. Even when it's tough, even when there are terrible situations, that love will come out of you. And so Jesus invites us to remain in him. It's not complicated. It's not tough. It's super easy. We just got to say, sign me up. Jesus, I want to get everything from you. I want you to do the maintenance on my life. I want you to do the upkeep. I want you to feed me every single day. And I just want you. I want to sit in your love. I want to relax. I can't tell you how many times it just sounds like, you know, a perfect afternoon. It's like on a Saturday, sit down on the couch, be watching some college football, and to have Jordan loving me by serving my each and every need, right? It's so easy for us to be able to relax in the love of others whether that's your spouse, whether it's your best friend, you're catching up with them. It's easy to just relax and enjoy the time as we relish in that love of others. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do that with me. Just take some time and just let my love be in your life. He says, and if you do that and you remain in me, that's all you need. That's the most important thing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so, so good to us. And I don't know how you invited us into this extremely lopsided deal where you're literally giving everything up and we're gaining everything, but God, you've given us that invitation. So I pray that no matter where each person is at today, that they would just take you up on that invitation, whether they're going to step into that and they're going to say, I want to live in this type of Jesus relationship for my life for the first time whether it's somebody who's been in that relationship with you and is saying Jesus I don't want to leave I want to keep just staying and continuing in this relationship with you 
pray that each and every person would see their relationship with you in a new way today and that your joy and your love would just wash over them and that it would not be contained in their own life, but it would burst out into their relationship with others. God, we love you so much. Thank you for who you are. In your name I pray. Thank you.